All right, welcome back to the Poet Delayed Podcast. Uh, my name's Scott, I'm the host, and I'm here today with Kelly Stevens, uh, a friend of mine that, uh, let's see, we met in Fruit Heights. We were both in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We have kids who are the same age, um, at least the two, your gray and my Stella. Mm-hmm. Stella Blue, so we got the gray and the blue, the north and the south, <laughs> kind of, I guess. Um, and they were pretty good friends, and then you guys, you were saying earlier about Three years ago, you guys moved out of our neighborhood mm-hmm. and um, haven't really talked much. And then I remember, so I reconnected with you and Brock on, uh, your husband Brock, on Instagram, I think, mm-hmm. because, I mean, I hadn't talked to you in a while. And I didn't have Instagram really until last summer. Oh, That's okay. when I first got it. And then you and Brock popped up on people I might know. I guess we have some mutual friends there. Actually, I know we do. And then I saw that you were writing poetry, hmm. and I read some of your poetry and was moved hmm. by your poetry. I felt um, it really resonated with me, and I sensed that maybe um, we had something similar going on in our lives from from your poetry, and it turns out we do. Yep. And anyway, so we've been trying to coordinate this podcast for months. Yep. And things have just come are. up. Here we are. And I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for this. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you've got going on in your life right now. I know that you are a yoga instructor. Mm-hmm. And so tell me a little bit about that or just whatever you want to tell me or tell our listeners what, what you have going on in your life right now that is exciting and, and meaningful to you. Okay. Yeah, I've been teaching yoga for a few years now and I took a break. I had a baby. Um, and I'm kind of coming back into the world, um, my work in the world, which is creating safe space for women to get to know themselves um, on a much deeper level outside of institutional pressures, cultural pressures. Um, so holding space with yoga, with poetry, with just, um, well, some energy work. And really just creating that place for women to migrate to feel a sense of okayness. And how long have you been involved in that? Um, That's been several years now. Um, But more so it's coming into a space of women leaving religion, I think. There's been, there's more of a um, zoomed in lens. What kind of response have you been having to that? Um, I think not not a big one right now. I think it's a really scary place for people to be, um, people to admit that they are struggling in that space. Um, so I'm just really letting go of the attachment to what it needs to look like mm. and allow for what, who needs, who needs um, the space that I hold will come. I like that. So rather than trying to define what the process should be or how it should look, you're just letting it happen. Right. Putting yourself out there and kind of letting it um, unfold in the way that it will unfold. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm learning the sometimes in life you just got to move. You yeah. Just gotta move. You got to be flexible and open, you know, and I have people come talk to me, you know, just friends and family. Um, um, so there has been there has been a lot of foot foot traffic in that, Mm -hmm. in that degree. So. Well, that's good. Um, I I think that leaving any type of institution, especially religion is a scary and a hard thing to do because 
you know, my experience has been that your identity is often tied up in that mm-hmm. and relationships and, and sometimes those relationships that you have don't survive it mm-hmm. and you need a safe, soft place to land while you figure it out and, right. and move forward. And so I think it's great that you're providing that. Thank you. Um, are there other women that you work with in doing that or is right now, are you just kind of cr- have a, a, a space that you are creating by yourself? Um, a little bit of both. I have a network of women who, who I, I, I do some work with, um, but for the most part on my own. So, um, I'm working with a woman, a woman, um, right now that we're planning a retreat oh. soon. Um, but that might be for men and women. So, okay. so yeah. Retreats are always good. They, they are. They sound fun retreat. Yeah. Well, you can really get into the nitty gritty yeah. because you're stuck in a place and you're mm-hmm. really in that work, you know? And so you can do a whole lot of, and then, and then the, just the connection too yeah. that, that happens when you're, when you're looking at those things some of those scarier things and um yeah i've I've never done a retreat mm -hmm. um but i can imagine that being with people who are kind of on this working through the same things it can be almost synergistic where you can work together and, and kind of have aha moments together that exponentially build on them exactly it can be life-changing yeah um well and so today i specifically you know i want to read one of your poems i want i I would like you to read it but so we've you've sent me so a few that and so you got you let me pick which Mm -hmm. poem i wanted to do (laughs) and um the poem that i want you to read and we've talked about this i'm not i'm not springing it on Mm -mm. you is I'm bored. I don't know. Is that the title of it? I'm bored. You know, I don't usually title my poems, Okay, but that's a good description of it. I'm bored. Okay. So, um, yeah, if you would read that and then I would love to talk about it, kind of the inspiration and, uh, some feelings and thoughts that you have when you, when, when you read it or when you think about it. And so go ahead. Okay. I'm bored. The way drool collects at the corner of a freshman's lip, sleeping through another lesson on Sigmund Freud. The way a koi fish travels the same path to find the same decaying algae. Do you hear me? I'm bored of brushing my cat's DNA from the same sweatpants I've worn since last Tuesday. Of hippies with mucklucks dancing naked, breasts bare, Breasts bare in the moonlight with polished stones singing positive affirmations. Of zealots screaming of last days and a just God, memorizing scripture to protect against original sin, only to drown an original thought. I'm here only for the original truth. Everything else makes me yawn and stretch and contort with a stuckness in my chest that aches for something new, something absolutely true. This boredom sounds like rage sometimes. Like tiny Tennessee fireflies stuck in a mason jar, I purposely, purposefully don't screw shut and watch as they plan their escape. It looks like whitewashed walls and lacy bibbed dresses, cinched at the waist, resting just above the knee. Rattle me with sensation, hands in the air, shake the lies free from beneath my petticoated skirt. I'm bored of your frostbitten path to enlightenment. I want every futile reveal, every jolt of irony, and the phlegm gathered at the back of my throat. The hot, fleshy dance with red faces, all arms and legs twisted with pleasure. The rotting onion on a shining countertop. 
my baby's gaze suckling and smiling around my tortured nipple. One more pleasant conversation and I swear I'll scream until your blood curdles. I'm bored. The way rubber grows of gravel with everything that doesn't feel alive inside me with what isn't the catching of my whole heart. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, Just take just a second and just... uh, So much of that resonates with Mm. me. Um, Have you ever read a poem or a line in a poem and thought, dang, I wish I had written that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a few in here. I love this part here. Memorizing scripture to protect against original sin only to drown out an original thought. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful line. Thank you. Um, Talk to me about this poem. I've, I've read a number of your poems and, and so when did you write this originally? I mean, initially when, when did you write this? I wrote it just right before I, February 7th is the Mm -hmm. post date. So February. Okay. It's the day after my birthday. Okay. Well, oh. happy birthday. Thank you. It's written yeah. for you. <laughs> Woo. Um, so where did this come from? Were you feeling, did something specifically happen? Did something, uh, you know, was this something that had been percolating in you for a while that you finally were able to articulate? Where did this poem come from? I think so. The way I write poetry is, um, it's a, it's a deeply, um, comes from the unconscious part of mm-hmm. me. And that's what I love about poetry is that it bypasses the conscious mind and goes into the unconscious subconscious um, subconsciousness. And I kind of, my, my process is allowing for that to come up and not push it down. I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't want to admit that they're bored mm-hmm. in their life, um, admit that some of, maybe some of the things that they're experiencing aren't fulfilling. I liked that how you refer to it as I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, before we started recording here, we were talking a little bit about, uh, talked to you about this poem. Like, you know, when I look back at my life, you know, I was bored. I just didn't, I would never have defined it as being bored. I, mm-hmm. I didn't uh, see it that way, but that's exactly where I, you know, that's exactly, I can look back and think, yeah, I was bored and, and, you know, when I'm bored now, it leads me to doing stupid stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and or, or looking just for diversions mm. when you don't have purpose. You know, mm. when you're bored, you're trying to find diversion. Mm-hmm. But when I have a purpose, when I'm doing something that's meaningful, purposeful to me, then that boredom dissipates and goes away. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's okay to be bored. Yeah. I think that's when we, like you said, there can be distraction, diversion, but also can lead us into those places of purpose. I believe like, okay, I get bored a lot. I get, there's a lot going on inside of me (laughs) and, um, I, I'm, I move fast Mm -hmm. from one thing to the next. Um, and I think it's okay to be bored and to claim that and to say what's next. There has to be more than this. There has to be more and, um, put you on a path to discover what else is there. And, and a lot of times it comes from within, you know, and it's not an external thing anymore. And, and I think that gets to be, that gets to be okay. So when you talk about saying I'm bored here, um, you, you list some things. What, 
were you referring to anything specific? Like, you know, I mentioned that my, you know, when I look back at my life, when I was, I, I think my boredom came from being scared to go out and do things, hmm. being scared to risk. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed safe. I stayed small. Interesting. And that created a boredom, although I didn't see it as a boredom, mm-hmm. but I was not fulfilling. I was not who I am. I, I, I had not come to a, real, a realization of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't doing things that really were me. I see. And so when you say I'm bored here, are, are, are you, um, are you referring to something like that? Or are you specific saying like, sometimes you just get bored and you, I mean, you list some specific things in here. Um, uh, personally, I think a Sigmund Freud lesson would be more interesting than most, <laughs> most <laughs> lessons. But, um, when you say bore, like what, what, is there something more, um, metaphysical that you're implying about when you say that? I think it's almost the opposite of what you were describing. Okay. If I'm being honest, because I've been on this path to self for a, a lot of years now mm-hmm. and I've, I've met a lot of different people. And I've, I've run into a lot of different philosophy, a lot of different theories. And there's I'm trying to kind of articulate this in the best way possible. Um, I feel like I'm sick of the narcissism of all of it mm. in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, allowing what feels really good to stay. And as I do that, then I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. So what is happening right now is almost in the past. I want the next thing. And I don't know if that's healthy or not, but that's the way that that I experience. I experience on a very, very deep level mm-hmm. in this in this lifetime, in this consciousness. And... And I want more stimulation. I want to feel all the things that I get to feel. Um, almost to a degree of... Um, I can't think of the word right now. It's one of the, the deadly sins. I, read, I actually wrote a poem about it. I can't think of what it's called. But to a degree where I feel like most people wouldn't feel comfortable wanting to experience. Like, um, I mean, something... Would hedonism define hedonism. that? Hedonism. Okay. Which, um, which I think is just a word for the self-repressed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> coined by people who are a little afraid to experience. Yeah, I think I think that hedonism has taken on the worst um, aspect of its definition. Mm-hmm. You know, where it doesn't necessarily mean lustful and and orgies. Right. I mean, hedonism is just physical pleasure, or or you know, and which isn't. I don't. Know, I, I don't. But anyway, so it, it does have. I, I think that. People say hedonism now, especially in a religious context, it has a negative. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not just uh, physical pleasure, but experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's so. I, I, I think so. What? So you are always? Would you say that you're always looking forward to the next experience? I'm really good at enjoying the experience I'm having, mm-hmm. and then immediately wanting something else. So I, I think. Um, I'm just really bored of all the rules, mm. all the institutional, the mm-hmm. cultural programming, the way we're supposed to do shit, right? Yeah. That's, it's really boring to me. And I'm looking for, okay, what, 
what is um what else yeah you know so you know i listened to uh the podcast you did with uh devry i don't mm-hmm. remember her last name but that was a great podcast and as i listened to that i thought I can relate to to a lot of this. And you use the term sovereign in there, mm-hmm. which is something that I've been thinking a lot about um, in my life. Um, you know, you and I have both stepped away from the Mormon church mm-hmm. and, and it, you know, and so in addition to that, like, you know, we were talking about before we, before we started the podcast, you have these organizations, whether it be religious or political or social, cultural, that when you identify with these, these, these groups, then you're automatically pigeonholed and defined by these groups when mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you don't follow or don't adhere or don't, uh, what's the word, believe in the whole platform mm-hmm. and there's only a couple of, but you can uh, relate to some, but you get defined by that right? and you lose your sovereignty mm-hmm. when you, when you do that. And, and so I, you know, I've been in this process. I've talked a lot on my podcast, um, about, um, kind of my trying to become more sovereign, recognize like, there, there's some power. There's been power. I'll say it this way. There's been power for me, and understanding that at the end of the day, I get to decide what is for me and what is not mm-hmm, for me. Mm-hmm. So the world can go about its way. The world can can um, formulate itself however it wants. But at the end of the day, I get to decide whether or not I'm going to go along with this or that. Mm-hmm. And there's power in that. There's a lot of power there. And there's peace in that as well. Peace. Mm-hmm. Power mm-hmm. and peace, knowing that you can't make me do anything. Right. You know? And... But, and when you start making me do something, I'm bored. <laughs> then, so there you go. Then, then that's bored. Mm-hmm. And um, like, because you listed some things in this poem that I thought were interesting. Um, because, for instance, you say of hippies with mucklucks. So you're bored of hippies with mucklucks dancing naked. Yeah. And in fact, I am. I do consider myself a hippie in a lot of ways, right? So I'm just kind of calling myself out here a little mm-hmm. bit too. Like there's a lot of self-responsibility that comes from, okay, I'm bored. What am I going to do now to shift that? And I think that's kind of what you were saying earlier too. Okay. I get to decide next. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when I think of hippies, I think of somebody who is free. And so, but, but when you identify as a hippie, I think, or because there are groups and communities that, you know, you could define, or maybe they self-define as hippies or that Mm -hmm. type of think right and now you're them yeah exactly you identify now you've put yourself in a box yes and now everyone gets to tell you who you are again Mm -hmm. you come from religion okay you're a hippie now these are the things i expect from you now i'm bored of that shit yeah you know i'm bored of people telling me who i am i'm bored of doing the same things you know so there's two sides to this i think there is what you kind of said at the beginning and there's this other part where I'm just I'm finding so much inside of me mm-hmm. that it's coming fast. It's coming fast and I'm excited. And I but I'm also pulled back to like staying in this place of like suburban life, sending my kids to to school and doing the things that we've been taught for so long that are what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um and I also think yeah, just the spiritual community 
also, like the people, the hippies and this sort of thing, they also can have pretty rigid rules like religion. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to do this, you're going to do it this way and you're going to believe these things. And I mean, it's kind of in a more free format, but I think we just need to be careful, like you said, who we identify with and what we decide pigeonhole ourselves as again, Mm -hmm. you know. And I would say too that, you know, being in a spiritual community like that, or even being in a religion or being in a political party, that may be in alignment with somebody that oh, may absolutely. be. And so that, and it is for me in some, in some yeah, degree. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we all need to determine where that line it is. comes from. Yeah. And that's where, that's where it has to happen yeah. is on an individual basis within. Yeah. Like for me, um, I was, I looked to identify with groups, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted, because I I wanted that definition because I want, I didn't have the, I didn't have the emotional capacity. Looking back now, I I look at it. I didn't have the emotional capacity to determine that I like this or I like that. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would have times too. and, And I, and I remember thinking about this when I was younger, like somebody would say, you know, like something as, as benign as my favorite ice cream. I remember one time I, I answered like, I want to go there because I like that kind of ice cream. And I kind of sat back and I thought, that's pretty cool that I have a favorite ice cream, hmm. you know, yeah, simple, right? simple. And I mean, it was something as simple that I didn't, I, I usually, I would just go along with people. What kind of mm. ice cream do you want? I don't care what, whatever you have. But then for me to speak up and say, you know what? I actually, I want, peanut butter and chocolate ice cream from Bastion Robbins. That's what I like to define what I personally want. Wow. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I didn't do that. Well, I spent most of my life not doing that. Even after those experiences, I still, mm. I didn't know what I wanted. And so what I would do is I would, you know, I, I, I identified I was, I was Mormon and that gave me a community, it gave me beliefs, it mm-hmm. gave me, it gave me people to step you know, to, to associate with. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I needed that at that time in my life because mm-hmm. I didn't have the emotional capacity to really, I mean, I, I think back now and I've like, I didn't, I never thought about the future. Mm-hmm. I never thought about planning for the future. In fact, I had a couple of times where somebody would, you know, they're planning for school or the future. And I would think, literally think, Hey, that's kind of cool. Plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Cause I was just going day to day day to day and when you join an organization you don't have to make those decisions because they're made for you pressure's Uh, off pressure's off yeah Mm -hmm. so um and so uh, i don't even remember i was going with this this point that's okay but i just remember but so what we're talking about is but my decisions were made for me so i had never realized my true self so you're kind of lost your creativity totally in Mm -hmm. fact that's you know the poet delayed the name of the podcast Okay. I shut it yeah. down for yeah, so long. In you fact, do. you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I you, can totally relate to that. You used to write. You used to, in that oh, podcast with Devery. You I used, came here to be a writer, yeah. absolutely, and 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 um, it left me. And yeah. not that it left me really is that I abandoned it. Mm-hmm. I did too. Mm-hmm. And I abandoned it because to 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 give the time that it needed, because it's not just writing. There's thought and emotion. I mean, it's it's a process to write a poem. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said some poems just come out. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to put any effort into them. Right. But but there's some poems that I will work on for months, mm-hmm. and I'll keep coming back to them. And there's and it takes a lot of emotion. And 
I just didn't have that space in me. There was too much else going on and I was too afraid. I didn't feel like I deserved that time. Yeah. I didn't feel like I deserved. Mm-hmm. I, it, I felt like it was too selfish. I was using that time for myself and I needed to do other things that were required. Well, I don't know if you can relate to this, Scott, but as a writer, you write what you know. You write your experiences. And a lot of times I think writers get a little worried and thrown off course because they're afraid to hurt people's feelings. They're afraid what they're going to write about might hurt someone. Can you relate to that? That I can relate that to the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you go back and read my poetry that I used to write uh, before I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I, f- and it was all what I thought, all of my poetry is what I thought other people wanted to hear. Yeah, And it was all positive. Mm-hmm. It always ended, um, with a positive on a positive note and I go back and read it now and I just think, wow, mm-hmm. wow, wow, wow. It was not, in fact, when I started writing again in November of 2019, I made the decision. I'm just going to write what I feel, mm-hmm. you know, and the first poem I wrote was, uh, I think it's the first poem in my book, uh, unconditional about my birth and how at that moment, let's see, maybe I can, yeah, I actually did a podcast with it, with my aunt cash, but it's not a long one. I'll read it. Okay. This is the first poem that I wrote after I started writing again. It's called unconditional it says thrust into mortality, new and unbroken yet. And you having just crossed the valley, with tender reach, pull me close to your body, which was broken for me. Mm. In your safety, your heartbeat communicates to me of love, of possession. I belong to you. Mm. In that moment, I alone am your world. I alone am your joy. Oh. And I wrote that in response to my feeling, thinking like, there was a point in my life, you know, if just for a short time where I was like it for somebody, you know, mm-hmm. where somebody really loved mm-hmm. and cared about me, not what I could do for them. Yeah. Not, it was just me. Totally unconditional, totally unconditional love. love. And that's where I went. Yeah. And that was a kind of a vulnerable, um, thought to convey because, I was, you know, and and I'm basically, to me at least, if nobody else sees it, I'm saying, I don't feel like this anymore. And I can't remember a time that I felt like it. And I've got to go all the way back to the day I was born. Guess what? Yeah, you get to go back to those moments so that you can re-aliven that inside of you and then give yourself that. Yeah. And I think that's a a big problem with most of us is that we look outward Mm -hmm. for unconditional love and there are very few people who can give that, give us that, you know? I don't know if there's anybody who can give it to us. Right. And so it has to come from inside. Mm-hmm. And then we get to go back and nurture those parts of us who were abandoned. And we get to realize that it was kind of a solitary game all along. Mm-hmm. Like um, that unconditional love yeah, gets to be received because we can give it. Mm-hmm. I had this realization. And, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but like I will understand things intellectually mm-hmm. and I will see them and like, yeah, I, I understand that process, mm-hmm. but I don't get it until 
I'll have these moments where I'll just, something will happen. My emotions, my nervous system will be shocked mm. for something where I'll think deeply. Something will happen, make me think deeply. And all of a sudden I think, oh, now I really yeah. get it. Now I understand how that applies to me. And like, for instance, like you just said. That's embodiment. Yeah, mm-hmm. embodiment. When you can embody something, yes. then you get to really learn the lesson of that thing. Because to your point, I've understood that we need, you know, we need to love ourselves first. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, if you don't have that foundation, you can't really go out and, and love. Mm-hmm. And I always had this uh, this analogy of my life, that my life... I'm on a raft in the middle of the ocean by myself Mm. and that's my life and water everywhere and I'm by myself and I'm not dying on the raft, but I'm also, it's not much of a life. Mm. I'm just not dying. That's what I'm doing. And I'm told or I know, I understand that beyond the horizon is land and I can live a life there that I can't even imagine. Mm. And so occasionally I'll get off the raft and start to swim but then I'll swim back because I'm scared mm-hmm. and I'm in the water and I'm by myself and I'm scared. What's in the water, you know, and am I going to drown? And I look at the raft starting to float away. And I'm like, Oh no, I got to get back because I'm not dying on the raft. I could drown. I could die here. Mm-hmm. I, just, I don't want to risk it. Cause I don't know really what's over there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's nothing on the other side of the horizon. <clears throat> and you know, I, I've used that to analogize. That's how I felt in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I never made any progress. I, I never, I just sat on the raft yeah. and this past at least you were alive and okay. Yes. You weren't failing on the raft. No, I wasn't. I wasn't Mm -hmm. dying. I I wasn't scared. Yeah. That's debatable, but I wasn't. You were probably scared, but you were still safe. I was safe. I was Mm -hmm. safe. There was no, there was no impending. There was, there was no impending danger. uh, danger. Although, you know, the ultimate outcome is what I, you know, because I used to wake up dreading. I used to wake up, in the mornings and think, oh, I'm going to get to be like 80 or 90 years old and look back and just be so upset and disappointed about my life. Mm-hmm. I used to feel, I don't feel that anymore, but I used to feel okay. that way. But my point is I, this last January, I had this situation where I was really hurting mm-hmm. as I, and, and I, and the solution I thought in my mind was I need to go back to this to, to the, this relationship I need. And I thought that's going to fix it. And I would think about that and, and I would feel this cessation of pain, mm. not peace, a cessation of pain. I mm-hmm. thought that's, that's what I need. But then I would think, no, that's not what I need. And I would think, when have I felt this pain before in my life? When have I felt this very pain before in my life? And I, could think of times. So I, I, and I realized, okay, it's not unique to the situation. Then it's something bigger than the situation. And then I just had this download, this drop Mm -hmm. said the way to fix this is to go inside Mm. and repair the fracture Mm. that you have from, from all the trauma from as a little kid, you had to abandon yourself Mm. because if you stayed with, you know, if you did not abandon yourself, then you were not accepted that way. And so in order, whether that was the absolute truth or not, that's what I believed as a kid. Mm. And so I would abandon myself and I would become who other people needed me to be. Yeah. And so I understood, I just thought, okay, I need to go in and fix the fracture and become 
and become myself again, you know, mm-hmm. become my authentic self and figure that out. And then I had this understanding. I just thought, and then I'm never alone so I can get off the raft mm-hmm. and I can swim in the water. And even if nobody's with me, I'm with me uh, and I can yeah. be there together with myself. Um, and that's enough. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, it's one of those moments where, I just was flooded with understanding and emotion. I was just crying. I just thought, okay, mm, okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's where I, my focus needs to be. And yeah. I still have that same fear. I still have that same pain, but then I can stop and I can breathe. And I you can, can think, remember. okay, remember, just go to yourself. And mm, you know, That's beautiful. Yeah. Stuff. And you know, it's just, you, we hear about reparenting, mm. going back. Do you ever do this? Do you ever go back to your younger self? Oh, yeah. I do lots of reparenting work. That's um, parts work. That's really, really powerful. So powerful. And I think really needed on the planet right now. We're all kind of experiencing and navigating our lives from our seven-year-old selves, Mm -hmm. unless we are conscious of that. (laughs) And then we get to go and and, um, be a parent to those parts that felt alone. And not to say that our parents didn't do their best and didn't do a beautiful job, but they're always fragmented parts. Mm -hmm. Always. No matter if you had the most incredible, um, enlightening childhood there, no one gets away unscathed. No, no. In fact, I tell my children that like, you're not getting out of this childhood. No, (laughs) But the, but the difference is then when our kids do come to us, because we have done the best we could, right. When our kids come to us and say, this really hurt when you fucked up. Mm-hmm. When you did this thing, it really hurt. And even if you're replaying that thing in your mind, it doesn't make sense. Guess what? You get to say, I'm really, really sorry yeah. that you felt that way and that I that I didn't show up for you in the way that you needed. And then and then they get to feel validated and they get to feel okay. And that, that, and that, and that you can still be close, right, outside, even when they come with criticism. You get to still feel like they get to still feel like they're that we're not angry it hasn't hurt the relationship yeah that's i for me that has been the biggest um you know biggest change for me in parenting has been like i have i have a personal policy now if my kids come or you know a lot of times i'll recognize that i fucked up Mm -hmm. and my policy is number one to apologize with specificity. Mm, so important. I'm sorry for this that and I not did for that you felt this way, no, but no. for what I did. Yes, mm-hmm. and 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 I always followed up with you did not deserve that. Mm. Not from me, not from anybody else. You yeah. did not deserve that. Mm. And that's powerful for a kid. It is because I want my kids to feel safe mm-hmm. to come to me. And I want them to know that they don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to happen to them. They're going to get it. But if they know that they don't deserve it, then they can set proper Pinpoint boundaries. that later on. Yeah, they mm-hmm. can set proper boundaries Absolutely. in their life. Um, mm-hmm. but, but to your point that I loved is when they come to you and say, hey, I, I want my kids to come to me. And I tell them, mm-hmm. I said, listen, it's okay if you're mad at me. Mm-hmm. It's Okay. The only thing I ask is that you tell me that you're mad yeah, at me yeah. so we can talk about it. But t- I, I love it. Well, your point is to c- listen to them. Don't, don't decide that they shouldn't have been hurt. Right. That's not our place. Mm-mm. It's not our place. 
Because um, we may not understand why it hurt exactly. them. Because we aren't them. Exactly. And we're not looking at it from the point of view of, of ourselves, but try to see it from their perception is really important. Yeah. Have you had your kids, any of your kids come and say, hey, mom, this you did oh, this and yeah. bothered me. Oh, yeah. And it does hurt. It stings a little, yeah. you know. But what should sting is the thing is the thing that you did. <laughs> right. Not that you're being criticized, right? That you're not a perfect parent because so often I think people want to assume that role of perfect parenting. And I think when you really believe that, if you really believe I'm doing an amazing job here, I'm, I'm really close to that, that perfect state. You're really missing the boat. I think a parent who is really aware of their fuck ups mm-hmm. and is really aware of that. They are not a perfect person and they're learning right alongside their kid is probably the most intentional and conscious parent. Yeah. I, I think that's such an important principle to understand as a parent. You know, I have my oldest son came to me one day says that, that I, you know, I am so mad at you. You, you have ruined our family. You and mom have ruined our family. Mm. And that hurts to hear. Yeah, Yeah. And I think about that. And you know what? Who am I to say we did not ruin our family? Right. Because you know what? We're the parents. Mm-hmm. I tell my kids all the time. You didn't. You, your mom and I, whatever whatever chaos there is in the family right now, your mom and I created that. Mm. I think someone just showed up. <laughs> Thanks, Got a visitor. Cruz. Yeah. Um, he, he tends, I, I guess he gets out of school. 1230 or so he says we're glad that it's not someone who's not supposed to be yes that would be kind of (laughs) of creepy but um when i think about that i still think about it at times and it hurts but i also want to understand it yeah and that's the difference that's the difference because fact of the matter is and i tell them this like you were the kids you didn't do anything it's not Mm -hmm. your fault Mm -hmm. you're the kids you know you didn't do anything wrong. You yeah. were just being kids. You were yeah. doing what you should be doing. Um, and like I, I read this thing on Facebook the other day. What exactly was it? I wrote a long response to it because I thought it was such an important principle. Um, wow, what was it? All that, for those listening, all that background noises, Cruz getting his dog some food. <laughs> it's actually our dog's. He's a good. A, a good dog owner. We yes. appreciate that about Cruz. Yeah, and, and <laughs> it's Ruger. It's Ruger's birthday today. So, uh-huh. all right, I'm going to find this because it was. Um, oh, what was it? Let me see if I can find it really quickly. I, I wrote. A, it shouldn't be hard to find. Hold on. My Facebook. Let's see. Oh, here it says this. Unfortunately, a lot of parents still believe it's their child's behavior that needs to change, but most often is actually the parent's reaction to the behavior that needs to change first. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such, said so well, you know, and I, I wrote a long response to that because it really, it really struck me. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, my understanding differently than it used to be is that my job is not to shape my child's life. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. My job, I mean, the world's going to shape them. And They're, you don't have to save them either. You don't. That's also don't. a big awareness mm-hmm. and, a, and a weight off yeah, my, shoulders. Exactly. My job is to create a space. I mean, I, I, at some ages, you need to protect them from things. Oh, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. but as they... But, but you I, don't need to save 
save them from themselves and what they're going to experience in the world as they grow and become adults. I think the most important, my understanding, I'm interested in what your thoughts are. My, my, my feeling is that the most, the most important thing for me as a parent is to create a safe space to where they feel like they can come and talk to me and to, um, share with them what I think is right, you know, share with them things, you know, I want them to be able to come and talk to me about questions that they have. And if they mess up or they get hurt, they can come and talk to me. I tell my kids all the time, listen, I may not be able to fix your problems, but Mm -hmm. I can sit in them with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I can be there with you. I think that's a beautiful awareness. And I think that that is really important that, um, we are just guides our kids are not miniature versions of ourselves mm, that yeah. a lot of people, parents and that, you know, mirroring, um, a lot of people I see parent their children as a reflection of themselves and what they think is best for them, their children to experience and want to achieve and this, um, sort of thing. But I think our kids really have very little to do with us when they come into this world. Yes, we are here to protect them especially those in those early years and build boundaries, creating what you say, what you said, a safe space for them to experience their lives, experience who they are. They get to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very unique souls. Yeah. And we get to protect that individuality within them and um, allow them to experience their lives because their lives are their own. Their lives are not ours. Right. And now I, I certainly can understand parents who who want to teach their children things that are going to be good for them. Mm-hmm. Like th- things that the parents are working for the parents, things that bring the parents joy. You know, I think parents will automatically or will want to share that with their children. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to also be open to where that, you know, maybe the children, like you said, they're unique. Maybe that's not for the children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and don't try to box them in, pigeonhole them in. Right you have to have a release valve. You have to be able to have, tell me what you're thinking about this. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and have a conversation with a child and know, let the child know above all things that regardless of what you feel about it, if, if you're not down with something that's important to me, I still love you. Right. And, and, and like I tell my kids and I'm by no means trying to, um, portray that I've got it down because I mess up a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, I tell my kids, regardless of where you go in your life, my, my door, my heart, my ears are always open to you. Mm. That's you- a beautiful message for them to come back to. I think this approval-based parenting, this you conditional type mm-hmm. of parenting is it needs to dissolve. Well, it does. And, and it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to see that within yourself because we all do it to some degree. Um, but to be conscious of it, that it's we don't know better than our our kids are in Ailey wise and they did. I believe they chose us to guide them in this, in this life to um, enliven that path that I believe they chose. Um, And, and we get to help see that through and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win all the time and they're going to, you know, it means they're probably going to experience some pain and we get to, like you said, sit in that with them Mm -hmm. and be okay with them not maybe achieving the status that that we necessarily hope or these preconceived notions of what success looks like. Yeah, because that that's a great point because what is success anyway? I mean you know, a lot of 
what is defined as success is culturally defined. Mm -hmm. It's not, and it's so easy to fall into that. I mean, I fall into it all the time. Mm -hmm. What is successful? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got two cars and a house and um, yeah, that's a definition of success and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if somebody prefers not to do that, so we ultimately want our kids to be happy and and to experience purpose and fulfillment and peace. Yes. And, um, and you know, that's our, we have intentions for our children and then, and then we kind of let it go a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. we don't put that upon them. I, I believe. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And and I feel that. And that's my, one of my greatest gifts of, um, to my children from leaving religion is that I want my kids to know that they can be exactly who they are. And that is always welcome. They don't have to be a certain person to receive love. Um, They don't have to be anything other than who they are. Yeah, I think think that is the biggest challenge with religion is that good and bad is defined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not only is it defined, but it's enforced. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to... Um, more, more so in religion than in any other type of organization, institution, Um, because here we're talking about, you know, your, your soul, you know, your eternal soul. Mm -hmm. And, and oftentimes it's, you know, well, like I used to, I, one thing that I had creates a lot of cognitive dissonance. Well, yeah. And it creates a lot of fragmentation Mm -hmm. of self and, um, when we're trying to be in religion and trying to do it right, we are fragmenting parts of ourselves that are pretty damn important right. and we're making them bad and yeah. we're pushing them deeper into the unconscious place of, um, you know, guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And, and and it really isn't until we allow ourselves to maybe leave the institution or just to wake up to the fact that we've done that within the institution, um, pull some of those parts back up and reintegrate them. But when kids, really young kids are seeing these parts of themselves that they don't think are culturally acceptable or wrong, that's really dangerous for them to apply shame to those parts so early and then fragment those parts away. Um, That's, that's in my opinion, where compulsive behavior comes from. I think in religion, we're like, well, if you don't give you these values, you're not going to have values and you're going to, be wild and crazy and yeah, you might be wild. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think the religion is what is giving the person the values. I think the values come from within. And it's the shame that is applied to those things that maybe we deem is wrong that that creates the the behavior in the world that is seen as wrong or bad. Yeah, I you know, I used to I never really had a lot of, well, here's one thing that I've noticed. Like I never really had a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. I would have moments of, um, cause I, I equate peace with hope and joy. Mm-hmm. Like they come together. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have not just necessarily with a calm or a lack of stress, I don't think that's peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm giving my own definition here. Mm-hmm. Other people may feel differently because I felt I, and I, I've, I contrast this with some experiences that I've had since I um, stepped away from the church. I think in, 
I received, like whenever I had experiences that I thought were peace, they were pacifying feelings. Mm. They were not, they were not empowering feelings. They were pacifying feelings. Like, um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, in the, in the LDS faith, submitting your will to God. Mm-hmm. You know, all that you have that's unique to you is your will. And you've got so to disempowering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lay it on the altar mm-hmm. and give it up. Give it away. Give it away. And so I tried so hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And I would study, how can I do that? How can mm-hmm. I know that I've done that? And it was such a process of failure wow. <laughs> again and again and yeah. again. And then the times I felt peace were, okay. I'm doing it right for a minute. Not even that. Okay. It's You failed but God will forgive you. Hmm. So, yeah. so, so you're still, my, el- someone else still needs to right, give you something. Right. It's all coming okay. outside. It's coming mm-hmm. externally. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had an experience. We talked about um, like plant medicine. Like I, I uh, had a, did a psilocybin um, I don't know, journey or it was, it was, it was very, um, you know, I went about it very therapeutically. I, Mm-hmm. I prepared for it. I wrote down my intentions. What do I want to get out of it? You mm-hmm. know, and I, and I'm still trying to integrate the things that I learned. It's been over a year, and mm-hmm. I'm still trying to integrate because it was so powerful. But I came away from that experience where my walls, my ego, everything came down. Mm-hmm. All these walls that have built up for you know over my forty at the time forty eight years had been built up that I had used to shelter myself from being hurt, mm-hmm. shelter myself from fear, shelter myself from risk all came down Yeah, and I saw myself mm-hmm. and I looked at myself and I said, you're fucking powerful. And I mean, to have that realization and to fully integrate it is, are two different things. Mm-hmm. But I contrast that to the experiences that I had before where they were pacifying, mm-hmm. you know, like God will take care of you. You're mm-hmm. going to, whereas now I feel, no, I have the power to, to raise myself up and to, to be me. And, mm-hmm. and, and I have a power in me that, and the, the, the distinct feeling that I had was I don't have to back down from anybody yeah. or in, 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 in any arena, I might get my ass kicked, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I spent my life backing away. You get away. to choose. Yes. I you spent my life. Choose backing away from everything, afraid to risk, mm-hmm. afraid to do anything. And here at this, you know, all the, all the while trying my hardest to be a good member of the good church. Boy. Yeah. Be a good boy. <laughs> and that and did, you'll me, get love. did me no good. Mm-hmm. I made no progress in my life. Right. I've made more progress, I think in the last year and a half than I made in well, years before you that. You had to make some really brave choices. And I think bravery is rewarded by the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take you back to something you said about uh, the boat, the boat let's analogy. Go. The raft. The raft. Yes, let's go. And I think in the church, there isn't there a, one of the authorities said, stay in the raft, stay in the boat. The boat, yeah. Yeah, um, kind of brought me back to that because I had a similar. The boat of Zion or something like that. Yeah, yeah. A similar um, analogy in my own mind. Um, I could stay in that boat, like you said, and feel really safe and feel really okay, pacified and could do that forever but what if i jump out of the boat and i go i fall deep into that ocean underneath and i think that's what we're all afraid of mm-hmm. to some degree is that we're going to go into the dark yeah and guess what guess where i want to be i want to know the magic 
in that ocean. Mm. And there might be some scary things that I come across, but think of all the wonder and all of the magic that is waiting for me below. And if I hadn't gone out of the boat, I would miss it all. And it would be scary. And I would, you know, put myself into some places, like you said, I might get my ass kicked. Um, but I would find deeper, deeper awareness, deeper um, aliveness. And I think that's coming back to my poem. I want to feel alive. Yes. I'm bored when I don't feel alive in my body and my experience. So anything that's not making me feel alive, anything that I, when I'm when I'm experiencing boredom, I'm not feeling alive. I'm, you know, and, and there needs to be, um, a shift there. Like you said earlier. Well, the last line of your poem, you said with the last two lines, um, well, you, let me just read the last little verse, the way I'm bored, the way rubber grows of gravel with everything that doesn't feel alive inside of me. And Mm. then you say this with what isn't the catching of my whole heart. Yeah. Your whole heart. My whole heart. Yeah. And my heart was, you know, we're told to love God with our whole hearts, which means you don't, there's no room for anything else. Right. And, and, and now I'm realizing that, you know, that's the God inside of you that you're supposed to love with your whole heart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really scary um, concept. Mm-hmm. You said something that, um, oh yeah. You know, I've, I mentioned to you before that I've been reading, you know, I've been reading a lot of existential philosophy, you know, and, and one of those uh, in Albert Camus' book, The Myth of Sisyphus, his first line in there is, to paraphrase it, like the, the real question of philosophy is, um, why don't we just all commit suicide? Because we're going to die. So what is, what, there's no meaning to, you know, mm-hmm. there's no intrinsic meaning to life. So why don't we just all commit suicide? Wow. And through the process of the book, he says that's the wrong, wrong thing, but to commit suicide, but he doesn't, he's not just talking about physical suicide. He talks about what I think is the more, uh, far more prevalent form of suicide is the, he calls it the philosophical suicide. Or the spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide, Mm -hmm. philosophical suicide, where you go ahead and you just adopt. And that's what I experienced. And that's why it was so... Me too. So painful for me, because I really did. And I feel like I came into this world as a very um, spiritually innate being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had to kill that part of me off. Th- and, and not because, and, and it's not because my family forced me to, I think mm-hmm. you said something earlier, um, when we were talking before that I was starving for structure mm-hmm. and belonging. And, um, I had never really made that connection with the structure, but yeah, there were a lot, there was lots of chaos within my family unit, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, outside of the control of my parents. Um, but I was, I, I think I was looking for the structure of the church and, and in order to receive that receive that I had to cut that spiritual part of me off. Yeah. That's the that's the danger of all you know when we when we have aligned with uh these you know organ especially religious organizations that is the definition is given to you of so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're told how to define these things and you have to cut off things or you have to abandon other potential explanations of things that happen in your life. Yeah. And when everyone else around you is telling you that's the right way, yep. Yep. it's really the scarier thing to, to do it on your own yep. and to say, no, I'm going to. And when you're little, you can't do you it. Can't on your own. When you're little. It's impossible. And then when you're older, it's hard. 
Yeah, because, because you're, you're, in. you're well, you're locked in, and then also you're the minority. Yeah, not many people, even outside of religion, are really trying to find out what's inside of them. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I love how Camus. Um. He says what the goal of life then, and his, you know, he doesn't believe in any sort of an afterlife. He, you know, once you die, you're gone. You're dead. Mm-hmm. You're just gone. So, but his, his, so his solution is you need to accept death, because so much of religion and everything is to deal with our fear of death. Yeah. You know, yeah. We are, we're, we're given, all right, yes, we're all dying. We know that. But I'm telling you that there's something after you die. So, like, I used to always think, I just, this is something that, this is just my cross I have to bear. Mm-hmm. So I have to mm-hmm. suffer this for my life. Mm-hmm. And I never adopted that. That's one that I, mean, I adopted heard that. my sister say that too. Yeah. And, and that's a horrible thing to adopt mm-hmm. because it, it, I could justify anything being my cross. Yeah. You know, and so I would never, I would, uh, you know, I, I never stopped to think, oh, this is really hard. It's not getting better. Maybe there's something else. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's my cross to bear. Mm. And so I'm just going to have to suffer this for the rest of my life and die. And that's why I would think I'm not going to be happy when I die. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to die full of regret. But um, Camus' response is accept death and then live your life in the face of it. You know, and, and, and his point is it frees you up as well because now, now you're free to experience anything in your life, you know, and, and, and not self-limit because I self-censored and self-limited myself my oh, whole absolutely. life. Absolutely. And that was part of the poetic, like I said, I was worried I was going to hurt people mm. starting to write again because a lot of the, like even my metaphor of going into the darkness, um, into the depths of the ocean I gave myself permission to go there with my poetry mm-hmm. and then to have people say to me, wow, she's dark, you know, or think that of me or, you know, she's so angry. What is she so angry about? What are you working through? And I gave myself permission to not give a shit. Mm. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to give ourselves permission to be okay with people judging us and still being exactly who we, how we want to express in the world. Yeah. Anyway. That's one thing that I'm learning and still, still grasping. And, and when you really think about it, though, those people who love you unconditionally are going to still be with you. Yeah. And the people who are offended by it, maybe they shouldn't be in your life anyhow. Yeah. And They're going to spit you out. And that's spit brutal, you out. but yeah. that's okay. Like, yeah. That's one of the laws of the universe that we, the people who are meant for us mm-hmm. will find us as long as we are being our truest selves. Right. Um, I think it was you said something about death being really feared, and that's what religion mm-hmm. helps us to pacify. Um, I had a really, I had a really f- big fear of death, um, and a lot of that stems from just being human. Right. And then also childhood, I had a brother die, um, and then I had another one born with a severe disability who later passed away. So I had a lot of. Well, you know, what during his early stages of life in and out of the hospital, is he going to make it as a really young kid that just fear of like this might be it a constant message? Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of talking about it, probably due to there wasn't a lot of time to meet emotional needs mm-hmm. like that when physical needs were always um, at the surface. But that was when it impl- I've done quite a bit of plant medicine at this point and that message has come up a lot for me, this fear of death that I'm holding on to that death really isn't, it's really an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Ram Dass 
said, learn to die before you die. Hmm. Um, and so that's like a, a really important thing that plant medicine teaches us is to, there's, there's a, I don't know if you felt that, but there is a form of a feeling of death with, when, when, um, in plant medicine. And maybe that was just my personal experience, but it's almost like these parts um, of you that weren't real and true die a little bit. Um, and then there's this fear of, for me, going into plant medicine, am I going to make it back out? Mm. You know, am I going to be okay after this? Um, so that's something that learn to die before you die. So you can feel okay with death before it actually comes. Um, Ram Das, I think what he means by that is really seeing attachments that aren't us. So anything that isn't us, we learn to die from mm. or learn to die to. So to die to to die to. So, um, leaving religion was the death, right? For you, probably your divorce felt like a death. Mm-hmm. Oh, it certainly did. Mm-hmm. And so learning to go through these things, learning to feel loss and grief and, and release attachments to things that aren't, aren't us is, um, is a big part of life. <laughs> yeah. I, I read somewhere one time, I don't remember who it was who said it, but to paraphrase it, you know, most people die like when they're, I don't know, like 30, but they, but their heart doesn't stop beating till they're 75, mm. something like that, you know? Mm. So hopefully that's, is that, are they, is that saying that they die to joy and die to no. be awakeness? No, they die, <laughs> they die the death, like the spiritual suicide. Yeah. Philosophical yeah. suicide. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought you meant. Yeah. And so they attach themselves to, you know, whatever philosophy. And then all of a sudden now all these decisions and things are being made. Now, I see I, this is what Ram Dass is saying is the opposite of right, that. Right. Right. Yeah. That was my understanding right. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I mean, d- death is scary, you know, and so it's understandable that we, mm-hmm. you know, seek for ways to be comforted with regards to death. Um, but it's almost, it seems almost now in, in the world that we're in that we, we just don't ever think about death and yeah, cause it's, yeah, it feels better. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're, Can be. we're looking for way. I mean, they're always technologically trying to find ways to extend life, mm-hmm. you know, and in whatever way or, uh, or manner or appear to not have aged at all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, in, and in doing so we lose the power that death can, humanity. Yeah. And the power that death can, I mean, mm. there, I think there's a power to living when we accept death. Yeah, absolutely. When we accept that, you know what, this life, we only have a limited well, it's amount. it's honest. It's honest. And you understand, know that this life is limited. And so I'm going to live my life. If we don't ever think about the end, then it's going to come upon us and we're not going to have lived our life. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, so I've... You know, I, I know who Ram Dass is. I don't know much about him. Have you? Have I, you I love Ram Dass. Too. He's, a, mm-hmm. He's a teacher of mine for sure. Um, he is a big, a big proponent of plant medicine mm-hmm. and um, joy and being in joy. Um, like you were saying, um, he doesn't take himself too seriously, which I think a lot of 
a lot of us do, especially mm-hmm. ultra spiritual people or ultra religious people. It tends to feel really serious, but he takes he takes on um, that in a way that feels really light and joyful. I like what you said in your podcast with Devery. Um, I thought this was really important because it's easy to look on other people who we would say. I don't know that we would say, but you know, that we could, you know, it could be said of them that, Oh, they're just, they have, uh, um, they're not enlightened or they're not, there's, you know, they're committing this spiritual suicide or philosophical suicide and they're just not looking at life. I think it's, it can be easy or to look critically on that, but in your, de- in your, uh, deposition, there's my lawyer coming out, <laughs> your uh, podcast with Devery, you meant, you said something that I, I really appreciated, you know, that you're at a place where you can hold space for, I think your words were like the Mormon mom who, who she's active in the church and mm-hmm. that's working for her. I mean, she, it's in alignment with who she is. That's one of the things that I came out with when I, um, you know, had that, um, my plant medicine experience is, there's not necessarily there's not good and bad per se, mm-hmm. but my goal is I want to live in alignment with who I am. Mm-hmm. And for some people, I think that, you know, being in a religion maybe is in alignment with who they are right then in their life. You know? that, right that, yeah. At that yeah. point. And some people, I, I, I think maybe like I would, I, 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 I think for a time it was in alignment with me, but mm-hmm. I, it was out of alignment for a while mm-hmm. before I really decided mm-hmm. to really face it. Yeah, you know, yeah. but to, to be able to hold space for people who aren't where we are not. And I, and I say that, and I'm not saying that well, like that's we a are destination at, yeah. or anything like that, right. but not what we're right. Doing. Not what we're doing. They're, mm-hmm. they're in a different place in their life than we are. I'm not trying to make a value judgment on where they are and where right. we are because I'm, I by no means feel like I am living my best life. I'm, I'm working towards it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I'm in any better position than anybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like that you said that, 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 um, you're in a place where you can hold space for, you know, people in who, wherever they are in their lives, that you can mm-hmm. see them for who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I will be honest, it is harder because mm-hmm. I see the constriction mm-hmm. and I see the, um, the damage that religion causes. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are people who were born to be a Mormon, you know, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be right for them but there are lessons that we i feel like we choose um when we come into these incarnations and everyone's kind of exactly where they're supposed to be you know and then it takes it takes some bravery to really shift that once you start feeling the the misalignment mm-hmm. um and a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to look at that and that's okay um but i, I, I do i do think that I mean, being in Utah, most of the people that I know are LDS mm-hmm. still, you know, um, even having the communities that I have outside of that, the majority are still LDS. And I know some people who are LDS, but they, um, they, they determine their level mm-hmm. of, 
I don't know the activity is the right word, but they determine where they are. Participation. Yeah, they're participating. And, well, and that's hard for me because me I, I don't get it. I feel like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, and I do have respect for people that can kind of make it their own. Mm-hmm. But it feels out of integrity to me to, um, I don't know, to, to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I understand what you're saying, I think, yeah. because it seems like if you know what's expected of you in a certain situation, mm-hmm. so you choose to go into that situation, mm-hmm. and then once you're in, you decide that you're going to do it however you want to do it. Right. And, and exactly. Cause there's a lot, I mean, the LDS faith more than other religions is very intensive. It's very, it's very high demand, high demand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just ran into, I just ran into people that are in the church and now they're swinging. And that just seems really yeah. out of it, out of alignment. And it just feels like they're doing, they want to play both sides yeah. in order to approve, be approved in both sure. different worlds. Yep. And um, it's hard for me to to understand that. Yeah, because there's not really any question with regards to swinging. Right. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> right. You know, so if that's – and I don't understand that either because mm. I, I, they probably aren't – well, I shouldn't make any judgments. But, I mean, I just mm-hmm. seem like if, you, if that's the lifestyle you're living, I think it would be hard – to be honest about it. Right. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's happening there yeah. with them um, internally, I think, because yeah. a lot of um, dissonance that probably has yeah. to happen in it. And I see people that really desperately want to hold on to the social mm-hmm. and the community part of Mormonism, which is, especially here in Utah, it is um, a profound community. It is a real loss to uh, walk away from um, and to be put in a place where people can now judge you or not feel safe around you, or maybe there's, you create separation from your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I mean, I, I can understand why people want to stay based on like social. Yeah. No, that I, I, I understand that as well. I'll say this though, that I, you know, I haven't really had, I don't, I don't feel judged by that's people good. that I know. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel, I don't really talk about it a lot. I'm not mm-hmm. out there. You know, because I don't feel like I need to, mm-hmm. but people know, mm-hmm. and I don't feel judged by it. I don't feel. Do you feel uh, pitied sometimes? Like, oh, you're wrong, and we still love you anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers me. I think the most. I don't know. Let me think here. I don't know that I've felt that. Um, but I think I have a deep under like a need for people to understand uh-huh. that. I'm not even saying is that I should have, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably need to let that go a little bit. It, do, it doesn't matter if people, whether or not people understand. You're right. And mm-hmm. that's an important point to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself in my mind like explaining, but I don't, I'm, I haven't really had to explain that's much. Um, Are the I, most people in your family still members? Um, I think I, I think uh, most of my siblings. Let me think. Most of my siblings either aren't very active or don't go. I have a couple siblings who are still, and it, and it works for them. Mm-hmm. Seems to work, mm-hmm. be working for them. 
Um, I, I will say this, that I'm very comfortable with where I'm at. Good. I don't feel, um, I, I don't feel, for, and for me, it wasn't hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't like a, a gut wrenching decision for me. Mm-hmm. It really, I, I think it just kind of happened over time. Mm-hmm. And then just one day I just thought, yeah, okay. it was a long, yeah. a long path for me too. It yeah. just was, and I think I did feel judged. Um, and there are certain times that I still feel that way, but I think. I mean, overall, I feel really comfortable. And at the beginning, I didn't feel as confident Mm -hmm. in my decision. And so I I was a little more worried about rejection, about Mm -hmm. judgment. And and now it's more just like an annoying, like, you can just kind of blow it away. Poof. (laughs) It doesn't bother. It doesn't affect my life all that much. Now, your family, I think you mentioned like you, you, your family was LDS growing up, but you didn't go to church much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, do you have, do you have siblings who are active? And I mean, what is your status there if you're comfortable talking about that? Yeah. So my, um, it is interesting cause it's really nuanced. Religion wasn't a huge part of our lives. Uh, growing up, my dad, it's, <laughs> I don't know if I listened to this, but, um, he, he'll fight against the church. But then when I fight against the church, he'll play devil's advocate and fight Mm. for the church. But he doesn't go to church. He doesn't do any. He doesn't participate hardly at all. But he does appreciate the social and the community and the people within the church who have made an impact in his life. Um, And he has strong ties from childhood that he hasn't been able to totally let go. And my mom, you know, they don't go to church, but she's I think she has a real um, attachment to to Jesus. Mm hmm. And, you know, and um, her relationship with with him. Um, and I, I I think that there's a level of when you lose people in your family, when you lose children. Yeah. What that means then. if Because the family is forever is a really important part of Mormonism. And I think that's what really helps people to hold on <laughs> tighter yeah. to that to that idea. I, that idea. Um, but my sister is now out and I have another sister who is still an active member. Okay. Um, you know, I find myself sometimes playing devil's advocate as well. Do you? Yeah. And maybe for, I don't know if it's the same reason as your dad, but I, I have a hard time when, when, so people, when people leave the church and, and that's all they can talk about. Mm-hmm. And that's what he says too. He says it makes people boring. And I agree with that. Yeah. And so, because I don't know. I can see, like I had experiences in my life. I mean, that, that's the thing about religion that I think, um, I mean, religion is is faith-based and faith requires a level of suspension of um, logic and reason. You have to suspend a level, you know, to, to some level, you have to mm-hmm. suspend logic and reason. And knowing that, there's really no... I guess so. So doctrinally, I don't know that you can point to a doctrine and say, therefore, that is wrong. For me, like it wasn't doctrine. Doctrinal doctrine is not what drove me out. It was my experiences, my life experience, and like what I was. Um, my my lack of fulfillment in life, mm-hmm. realizing that you know what, this is not. I am not able to be me here. 
Mm-hmm. Because doctrinally, I can look at it and, and, and say, okay, well, if, if it is true, I mean, let's, if it's true, then and people can have experiences that they feel are spiritual experiences. Who am I to tell them that's not what they felt? Mm-hmm. And they, and their interpretation of that is, well, this therefore then makes this true. And if God is God, then how can you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that whole faith thing. And so when people, I struggle when people leave the church and then all they talk about is they're just ripping apart the doctrine. I'm like, I just, so my, my point always to them is, well, you know, let if, if people believe it, then how can you tell them not to believe it? You know I mean? The, well, and you won't be able to, people you, you have won't. to be ready at a certain that's, place that's exactly to be able right. to hear it that's or exactly intellectually right. even receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's a place for people that see the damage and how much damage that they yes. were, that they received and now feel like they need to talk about it. Oh, I'm and not they, saying don't yeah, talk about it. Yeah. And they need to, and, and also, um, hold space for maybe the possibility that someone else might need Yes, that, that information or that um, support. But I, I do, I do hear what you're saying. And I think that it can feel like kind of two worlds, like either Mormon mm-hmm. or ex-Mormon. And there is a balance there for sure, mm-hmm. for sure, especially when you feel called to the work of holding space yeah. for people seeing yeah. that damage. Um, yeah, I think uh, um, definitely it needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. You need to work through those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the conversations that are just um, attacking. Oh, yeah. And and derogatory not constructive not trying to you know mm-hmm. and maybe that's the way they're doing that who am i to say and maybe they need that in yeah. the process and who, that who am i saying that mm-hmm. i just struggle with that um you, you said something it uh brought something up with, to me i'm trying to remember what it was that's good. Mm. i think that inter- religion is interesting because it does take a level of um ability to receive anything Thing new, and I think when someone's indoctrinated, mm-hmm. um, even new information is going to to help solidify their beliefs. And it almost, to me, takes a miracle for someone mm-hmm. to open up to look at because they're belie- we kind of identify with our beliefs in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, especially in religion. Um, and so, being able to be an observer and to step back um, outside of your beliefs and look at them from an objective point of view is um, rare. <laughs> and, um, there's a dog. Hey, Ruger, go upstairs, buddy. Cute dog. Huh. <laughs> go, go. Um, hold one second. I'm going to take him upstairs. So, sure. <clears throat> okay. I lost my train of thought though. What was I going to say? Um, Oh, yeah. So for me, it, 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 like with religion and any other institution, I think for me, it comes down. I, I think religion is the, the biggest one and the hardest one is that it takes away from oh, going upstairs and downstairs. Lost my breath. <laughs> <laughs> you do some more yoga. Yeah. You know, I used to do yoga. <laughs> I've done hot yoga a few, uh, I liked it, but I, I think. Hot yoga is at my practice. Uh, yeah, I know. But I, I'm not. It was less, uh, 
yeah, I, I, it wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea either. Yeah. So, but um, maybe real yoga I need to do. <laughs> but uh, I think the so for me it comes down to when you're involved in an organization that defines who you are, you lose who you are, mm, and you can't exactly. And and so that's that's like the the core of the problem for me. That's that's the heart of it. Is mm-hmm. me too. You're defined by who you are now, mm-hmm. and you get let you let someone else tell you who you exactly. are. Exactly. That's especially a devastating. It is to to your system, <laughs> right? Because how can you be who you are, or and and that's and then you can justify it because it's religion. And then it's using God as an ally. Yeah. Spiritual bypass. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Um, And I think that's what, why people tend to be so passionate once they leave is because they're fighting against people now who have God on their side. Right. And that's, they perceive to have God on their side. You know, they're using, they're using that influence to tell now this other group of people that they're wrong. And it, and it feels, um, like an unfair <laughs> advantage and right. but I agree with you for me it was my experiences the way that I felt um and then later I, I I did a lot of work around kind of looking into the history and looking into the the truth claims and those sort of things um but it definitely I would have been okay leaving if I had been wrong mm-hmm. I was willing to be wrong because of how devastated my system was trying to be in that space um, yeah i and for me uh, a big uh and we talked about this before the parable of the prodigal son and i i think you know i remember reading that thinking feeling like okay well you know even if it turned out to be that, that it is true that the church is true what i'm doing is what i should be doing Mm-hmm. Because the prodigal son came to himself ultimately. Mm-hmm. How? By going out, you know, wasting his living and living a riotous life, and he came to himself. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about that a lot, and I thought, that's, I feel like that's the real takeaway from that hmm. parable yeah. is if you want to come to yourself, you need to go out because contrast the prodigal son with the son who stayed at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was pissed. He's going to probably have to go through some some prodigal-like adventure himself mm-hmm. in a way that he needs. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's not the same way, mm-hmm. but he's going to need to go some go through some process as well. So I remember initially that was like, okay, so regardless if it's true or not, I mean, maybe it is true. Maybe I come back to it. Yeah, maybe I come back to it. But I know right now, because that's the thing is that's how I've kind of defined it is my relationship with the church was unhealthy because Mm -hmm. it was not, it was not a, uh, it was a codependent relationship. So Mm -hmm. it was, Mm -hmm. I found my value in obedience, Mm -hmm. not what my husband would say. Yeah. I found my value in obedience, not because you're a unique. Yeah. It gave me my value. Mm Mm-hmm. It gave my value was dependent on how and well I, I followed that Jesus. That way. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it. It certainly looks that way. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, we're sort of set up to fail in religion, and I don't blame. Just, I mean, I think all religion, you mm-hmm. know, is a sweeping statement. Kind of needs to to crumble. <laughs> 
Uh, but I, I do think that people are coming back to themselves um, more and they're kind of seeing the writing on the wall. Yeah. I, I So it, I think that it's we have to have a foundation in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. It's scary. scary, especially when you leave because you haven't built that yet. And for a lot of people, um, for me, I grew up as an individual, so I sort of had that foundation already. But it was now relearning how to trust myself. And that's been or learn what, you know, that all the things that I want to experience are okay, And I don't have to to necessarily choose based on someone else's idea of what should be experienced. Right. It's it's not a menu you get to choose from. And now it's a buffet. It's a buffet. (laughs) It's it's an it's a buffet with everything. It's like Mm -hmm. the. uh, I went to a buffet once with food from all over the world. It's like that's, that kind of a buffet. That's right. Um, is there one thing in particular that you feel like has been most helpful in you coming to yourself and, and, and learning these things? Hmm. To get me to where I am or, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Uh, yoga was really, really profound for me, just getting back into my body and feeling comfortable again in my, um, just moving. I feel like, trauma and I mean trauma is such a trigger like hot point word but those things that happen to us that get stuck in our bodies anything Mm -hmm. with movement that's connected with breath um, is going to be really powerful breath work very very powerful Um, it's just getting into those places those deep corners Mm -hmm. and kind of you know sweeping out that rug and um, plant medicine was um really helpful and poetry. Yeah. Poetry is really allowing, I think I had mentioned this earlier myself to get into those places that I had repressed, um, and to kind of bypass my consciousness mm-hmm. and, and develop, um, more of a confidence in what's inside me. And that that's all the things that are actually really fucking cool, <laughs> you know, instead of scary. Right. Um, and and just learning about what I am really capable of has been a lot of fun. For me, poetry has, that was like really the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like it so much is, you know, when, when I write my poetry, it's, I'm always looking for metaphors and ways to express how I'm feeling. And through the process of that, I begin to understand it more because I have to express it, not literally. Mm -hmm. And by not expressing it literally, by trying to find some representation or metaphor or analogy or something to express it, I understand it more because I'm I'm being very critical and looking at it from all sorts of different angles. And that was really the start for me. And um, I mean, I, I... I, you know, I hadn't written for so long and, and I just remember November, 2019, just thinking I'm going to start writing again. Mm. And, you know, I've been doing it since and, and it's, and it also takes some um, self-awareness because my poetry really is, um, for me, it's very emotional Mm-hmm. I'm not just writing about things around me. Right. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some poems I write are just fun poems. Observational. You know, just, mm-hmm. Yeah. But but some are really They're deep. deep. And it's amazing some of the things I've understood as I've been writing poetry. I mean, there have been a few poems that I've written or some some concepts and lines in some of the poems 
I'll be struggling and struggling and struggling. And then all of a sudden I'll have a breakthrough mm. and it's some of them. I just get like excited. Like, Oh my gosh, yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And there've been a couple where I just got flooded with emotion, just mm. understanding, Oh my word. That's, that's, that's so much dude. Like you're doing so much. It's just with it. Like that's a lot of growth. Yeah, it is taking place. And I think that's, I love how you said that the metaphor is helping you to reach deeper, mm-hmm. deeper places that maybe you couldn't have. And I, that's what's so cool is that we go through these things and then we create art with it. Yeah. And that is so powerful that we create this work and now it exists in the world as material in this material world. And we wouldn't have been able to create that had we not gone through the things that right. we did. Right. And, I have such a bigger appreciation for all forms of art now mm-hmm. because me too. You know, art creates our suffering and not just suffering it, human emotions. You, you know, when, mm-hmm. when people are in touch with themselves, that's when I think the most beautiful work mm-hmm. comes out, mm-hmm. you know, the beautiful art comes out, not just suffering. Suffering does create, but so does joy. Right. You know, so does contentment. So does mm-hmm. peace. So does um, awe. And I, yeah, I think that those things can be really deep too, right? Yeah. The, that are found in the places that we've maybe, I think a lot of ways, I mean, I I um, cast out my anger and my, you know, those sort of emotions, but there are a lot of people who make joy wrong and push joy into the dark recesses of their being, Yeah, um, that it's, you know, frivolous or that it's not. And so, and so that can be. That could be deep too, you know, and yeah. to re re be okay again with feeling joy can also feel um, for some as, and this is what I've I've encountered in the work that I do can feel foreign. Um, um, smiling, feeling mm-hmm. laughter, feeling joy can feel because we're supposed to take ourselves so seriously in religion, everything's so serious, you know. Um, also. You know, I, I grew up relying heavily on sarcasm mm. and sarcasm is considered, you know, to some extent, people use sarcasm as humor. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up making light of the fact that my mom had died mm. and I used it as, you know, kind of to shock people, Almost, you know? Yeah. Almost like a passive aggressive form of com- communication. Yes. And and I would do it as a, like people would be making a mom joke and I would, you know, mm. I called it my showstopper. Yeah. Well, my mom died when I was 10. You know, yeah. and I thought that was funny, but I didn't yeah. really think it was funny. I just, right. <clears throat> I would say it, but I can't stand it anymore. Mm. I, 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 it makes my skin crawl mm-hmm. and sarcasm, things like that. And, and I look back at things that I used to joke about and it was, I was joking in an effort to um, cope. It was a coping mechanism. It wasn't. It wasn't honest humor. Mm. You know, it was right um, humor with an ulterior purpose mm-hmm. than laughter. Mm-hmm. I was trying to cope and 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 uh, cover up. It's more of a, maybe a projection. Yeah. Than a, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and learning that honest humor, the the stuff that is because humor is healthy. I mean, humor is so important. I love humor. Um, I think it's the highest consciousness, laughter. Oh, I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Yeah. So just exploring our emotions. Mm-hmm. My emotions, I feel like, are more rich. When you can incorporate mm. what are normally deemed the the negative emotions, when you can, like the shadow type 
mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. That is, I have found the shadow work oh, yeah. for me. It's been be profound for me too. So, so important. I saw you posted something about uh, shadow work, some, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, on your Instagram today. Um, but yeah, shadow work, not pushing away. One thing that I tried so hard when I was going to church, you know, was to be filled with light, you yeah. know, and light is good, mm-hmm. but not at the expense of the shadow, mm-hmm. you know, and we're just making the unconsciousness bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we're just making it bigger Yeah, and more wrong. And then it gets bigger again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, cause I used to think that I just need to cut off the darkness and just only be light. Right. And that's not healthy. No, not healthy. It's an unbalanced soul. It is a completely unbalanced soul. And just, psychologically is unhealthy because mm-hmm. you need those, the shadow elements you and do. you need to, you need to integrate them. And be, I think it was Jung who said that, which is not expressed. Oh, what, how do you say it? I know what quote you're thinking of. Yeah. When we suppress something, mm-hmm. then eventually that's going to come up and, and it's going to, it's going to come gonna out. It's going to rule our lives. Yeah. It's going to rule our lives. Mm-hmm. And you need to, and that's why we have so many people walking around navigating their lives is, their, you know, ego self, mm-hmm. their seven-year-old self, yeah. because they haven't integrated their exactly. shadow. <laughs> exactly. So that's, mm-hmm. I'm still learning how to do that. Oh, I think we all are. Yeah. And I think there's not a destination to any of it. I Mm-mm. think it's a lifelong when we decide that we're going to be in integrity um, to the level that you are or I am. It's it's a lifelong unraveling and learning. Mm-hmm. And I do. I'm, I, I have this insatiable desire to learn and i think that's the board thing i just want more just give me more i want to learn it all and i think that's all the intrinsic need of just coming home finally Mm -hmm. to myself i don't know um yeah yeah i feel that and and uh i have my ebbs and flows sometimes i really want sometimes i just want to check out Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, I go through phases too. <clears throat> yeah. But then my, the moments in my life that I most cherish are those when I'm, um, like pursuing this, like when I'm learning and growing, I read somewhere, heard somewhere, I remember who it was who said it, that it's, uh. Like I used to wait to be motivated. Hmm. You know, I, I used to wait for it to come. Mm-hmm. And then if I didn't act while I was motivated, it would go away. So I was, it was really a, a passive approach, but now I'm starting to understand, no, I can, I can become motivated. Yeah. I can make that. And that's, that's, that's been a powerful thing is I can, I can make these things happen in my life. Mm. I don't have to wait for them. And, and I understand now why I did. I mean, I was, a lot of my life was just waiting for stuff to happen because I was afraid to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid mm-hmm. of risk. And I'm still working through that, but I've... I've I'm working toward... I'm working through that too. Making choices. Because mm-hmm. that means I have to choose between one thing or the other. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? and, and, because... and, and I guess that still means that I have um, internally this idea that one choice is wrong and one choice is correct yeah. right and 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 intellectually no that is not true mm-hmm. we know that i can't remember who said it i want to say eckhart tolle but i think it, he just referenced it um but any movement is better than 
no movement. Yes. So even if it's movement in the wrong direction, totally. Agree. I, I think I think that's from the power of now. Um, is is better than none. Yeah. <laughs> and it just goes to the point that failure can only happen if you don't try. It's pretty that, basic, but it it does. It's like it, it uncripplizes. Is that a word? It takes. It is now. It is now. I always make up words. Mm-hmm. Um, you from fear of doing it wrong, just knowing that. I'm just going to, you know, move in this direction and yeah. see what happens. And there's. And that must be where, because I, I actually, I started listening to uh, The Power of Now. I started a little men's book club. I haven't been very good about pushing along, but we're reading The Power of okay. Now. And what you just said, I, I must have got it subconsciously. I didn't realize I listened to it because I was talking to Ian, my son, and I told him almost <laughs> exactly what you just said. Hmm. Um like I only think there's one, I told him, I only think there's only wrong, one wrong way to live, and that's to do nothing. Yeah. You just need to go. Get up yeah. and move, and maybe the way you're moving is wrong, but you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And you'll just, just be open yeah. to shifting your direction. Open it to is. shifting your direction. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I grew up feeling there was one path, and if I was on the wrong path, it was too hard. I had to repent. Right. You know, but you don't have, you just need to change direction. Mm-hmm. You just need to change direction. And it's okay to keep doing that forever. Your I whole know. life, change direction. You don't like this Mm-mm. view, change it. Yep, exactly. Know? And I was lost on that because I, yeah. I well, was. Well, a hard one. Yeah, it's too afraid of failing. A little bit, yeah. Failure's bad, but failure's mm-hmm. not bad. I mean, what better way to, I mean, who was it? Uh, um, oh, what's the guy the the light bulb um edison edison somebody asked him like he tried like i don't know thousands of different elements before he found the one that worked in in a light bulb Mm -hmm. and somebody asked him you know how does it feel to have failed so many times and i think his response was um I didn't fail. I just found, let's just use a number. He tried a thousand elements that didn't work. He says, I didn't fail. I found a thousand elements that didn't work. They got me closer to what succeeded. <laughs> yeah. And, and then now he knows that those don't work. Right. You exactly. know, because all knowledge is knowledge. You and know. every time you find something that doesn't work, you're closer to the thing right. that does. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. I think that was good advice for yeah. sure. Um, well, this has been great. Yeah. I really. It's been fun. Glad we finally got together here. Yeah, thanks for being patient with me. Oh, not a problem. Like <laughs> I said to you, I said it'll happen when it happens. I'm not yeah. going to force it. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. So, if so, what is your Instagram so people can go check it out? My Instagram is Kelly spelled with an I, Kelly Collective. Okay, and if anybody wanted to reach out to you who's in this transition phase in their life, is there somewhere they would go for that? Yeah, right now I'm I'm working on my website right now, but right now just re- reach out to, um, over Instagram. Kelly Collective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, no Appreciate problem. It. Maybe I'll have you on again when we have other stuff. Further to talk down about. the road. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thank you.